This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, we still don't know the outcome of that potential deal between Spirit Airlines and JetBlue. We do know that there is a deal in place between Spirit and Frontier. A lot of this could be cleared up after the next shareholder meeting coming up in a couple of weeks. As for this entire process, a pleasure to welcome in Emily Feldman, who's a management professor at the Wharton School, to take a deeper dive into this. Emily, great to talk to you again. Hi, good morning, Dan. Good morning. And so this has obviously caught the attention of a lot of people, especially because I think the airline industry is one that we look at a lot. We've obviously seen consolidation in this area uh, in in past years. But in terms of this potential mix of companies, it seems like there's a lot of question as to whether JetBlue would be the right company to partner or to take over Spirit Airlines in comparison uh, to Frontier. Yeah, so to use an, a metaphor that is probably apt for the airline industry, it's really a perfect storm here uh, of factors that are really creating kind of a complicated situation so, you know, there's there has been a wave of consolidation over, you know, the past uh, years here, right? If we look at the large legacy carriers, right, we're down to three uh, in terms of the mergers that have happened, Delta and Northwest, uh, United and Continental, and American and U.S. Airways. And so now sort of the next frontier here is, is sort of the low-cost carriers. And I think that's why this battle has become so pitched between, you know, Frontier and Spirit versus JetBlue and Spirit. Uh, and then, of course, you know, JetBlue has, you know, started to make moves that, you know, not that don't put it exactly in the in the in the same class as uh, sort of the legacy carriers, but nonetheless uh, can create some issues there. For example, the, the Northeast Alliance that JetBlue participates in with American Airlines, you know, sort of creates problems here from an antitrust perspective uh, as well. Right. So competition is a big yeah. deal. Antitrust is a big deal. Uh, and then, you know, sort of the, the overall consolidation of the industry, I would say, here is, is kind of a big deal here as we as we look at this unfolding. So then, in your opinion, is is a JetBlue tie up with with uh, with Spirit even a, really an option because of a lot of those dynamics? Well, I mean, obviously they they think it's an option, right? So so they've pursued this, right? They've made this offer, uh, and and we'll see where uh, we'll see where Spirit comes out on it. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, to use another metaphor. There's a lot of headwinds here uh, in terms of thinking about what might happen if it goes through. Are antitrust regulators even going to uh, approve this uh, this transaction if if it's voted forward? Um, you know, are we are we going to see uh, the Northeast Alliance uh, continue with JetBlue as a part of it? Like, it's it's just very complicated from this perspective, right? There's a lot of factors that might have to change very much if, if it does go forward. Uh, and then if it doesn't, of course, that creates different implications because in all likelihood we'd see sort of Spirit and Frontier go together. So what does that do in terms of competitive dynamics uh, that JetBlue now faces, right? There's sort of no more, no more dance partners in a, in a way there. Uh, in terms of potential merger opportunities, so it's it's uh, it's it's sort of tricky from either either perspective here, right? Whether it goes forward or whether it doesn't go forward. This is also giving us an, a kind of an interesting look at, at what companies deal with during these uh, these periods of time uh, when they are receiving offers from other firms uh, of potentially purchasing them, and maybe even more specifically, how the board of directors of Spirit is trying to deal with, obviously they have a, a quote-unquote deal in place with Frontier, 
but uh, also dealing with the uh, the foray by JetBlue here. Well, right, absolutely. And you know, if we think about fiduciary duties, right, they have a they have a duty to maximize value for for shareholders, right, and so. You know, if we if we kind of think about this, well, what's going to what's going to create more value for shareholders? And, and this is where some of the factors that I was talking about come into play. You know, for example, likelihood of deal completion, right? That that could be one factor. So, yes, maybe one deal will create more value than another. But if that has, uh, you know, a much lower likelihood of, of progressing in its current form or in the form that's signed in the agreement, then that might change some of the calculus. Right. So that's kind of the complexity that they might be facing. So then let's shift for a moment and, and look at. Uh, the deal that Spirit has with Frontier, and then when you're talking about kind of the low-cost carrier landscape, uh, I guess the question is, does that have more potential to move forward? I'm not going to use the word value because that's obviously a a different component here, but does a Spirit-Frontier tie-up potentially have a better chance of, of moving forward? So potentially, right? So there's not the issue of the Northeast Alliance that I was talking about, which is which is one factor. And then, you know, so I, I, I'm not a super expert on all of the routes that these uh, that these airlines fly, but I will say that this is this is what's typically assessed in these kinds of transactions, right? The extent to which uh, customers would be harmed, for example, by higher prices uh, if options are eliminated, or, or the or the companies were able to raise prices. You know, so it sort of depends on you know how much how much overlap is there between the root structures of these uh, of these different airlines, and how are we going to uh, how are we going to see sort of customer choice and customer prices change as a result of that? And so each of the two companies is arguing that that their deal is going to be less problematic for shareholders from, or for customers rather from that perspective. Right, sort of saying, well, you know, we are going to have to do fewer divestitures of landing slots or routes. Uh, if we go forward with one deal or the other, right? So that's kind of one of the one of the points of, of argument that they're each trying to make. And, and there is also the element of the actual aircraft that each of the air, these airlines fly, and and the similarity in terms of what each carrier has that obviously factors in when you're thinking about what you're flying, the maintenance uh, cost, uh, the process as well that uh, that they have to factor in also. Well, right, absolutely, and you know, so so JetBlue, you know, is is perhaps in a different uh, in a different category, right? Sort of given that they have, you know, some 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 uh, business class amenities available to customers, right? They're starting to get into uh, this partnership, which might enable them to access transatlantic flights as opposed to uh, more domestic ones, right? So so there's different uh, there's different factors here that go into play, and you're right, the 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 fleet, right, the the aircraft, and and what they require. Uh, might be very different across across the companies and then by extension across the deals as well. So JetBlue really has to take stock of, of where they are as well, as you mentioned, with that with that partnership that they have and the potential growth that that might provide to them in comparison with adding on this other component as well. It, it's really kind of focusing on what they have in-house, what they do already to understand whether this is a good add-on at this point. Well, yeah, I guess I have two reactions to to what you just said, right? So one reaction is, you know, yes, you're exactly right that, you know, there's kind of a cost-benefit calculus here, right, or or benefit-benefit calculus maybe, right? So we already have, you know, sort of a bird in the hand here with this Northeast Alliance, and we're getting into these new opportunities with Transatlantic, you know, so that's giving us some value here. Versus if we go forward with with uh, this deal with Spirit, obviously that pushes in a completely different direction, right? More into the low cost carrier uh, dimension. And it's not that the two are mutually exclusive of one another, but 
you know, to the extent that there are resource constraints and, and that it might not be possible to, to do both simultaneously, there's a choice that has to be made, right? And I think that's part of it. Um, the other thing I was going to say that I think is um, interesting to reflect on here is some of the operational challenges that have been articulated uh, within JetBlue itself, even just as it operates, aside from alliances and mergers, right? So there have been numerous uh, reports that there are some challenges from an operational perspective within JetBlue itself. So maybe this introduces a third option of, well, we don't we don't do anything. We kind of stick with the status quo, and maybe we try to fix uh, fix the issues, right, or improve the issues that might be going on inside uh, inside the, the organization to begin with. How how often though does that occur? You know, just thinking in general, when you get to a point of making this foray like like uh, JetBlue has towards Spirit, that a company would say, you know what, we need to pull back. We need to just not do anything at this point and work work on our own process. Yeah, so it's it's really almost a pathology, right? So so companies exhibit huge action bias in general, right? To to doing especially mergers and acquisitions, and so so yeah, it would be quite rare, you know, to see a company say, well, well, no, I'm actually going to forego this opportunity, uh, you know, in order to to fix to fix my own house, to to do my to do my things that I have to do within my own organization, and you know, the situation becomes even more pronounced when you think about sort of the the very few number of uh, very small number of participants that even remain in in this industry in particular, right? So, right. you know, we, we have an action bias and there might not be any other opportunities in the future or very few opportunities in the future. So that would argue even further, you know, sort of uh, in favor of this idea of pursuing uh, pursuing the transaction, even if there are these problems internally, right? So the trade-off is quite sharp uh, when we think about it. And unfortunately, we tend to see uh, companies and especially companies in in these kinds of competitive situations tend to gravitate towards the action as opposed to the internal piece of the of the story. I, I, I guess fi- final word. I guess that it's probably not a surprise that we're seeing this type of activity in the low cost carrier segment, considering the fact we saw it with the with the big boys years ago that it was eventually going to happen at this level of the industry as well. Oh, absolutely. It was only a matter of time, right? And so, you know, the low-cost carriers, to my understanding, have really developed over the past, you know, over the past years, right, as, as the alternative to, to the legacy carriers. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it, was, uh, it was kind of bound to happen. And we've even seen glimmers of it, you know, to begin with, right? There was that, uh, I believe there was a potential tie-up between uh, JetBlue and Alaska that didn't go through, right, sort of in the same mentality. So, so yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I think this was probably predictable. I don't know that the intensity of, of of competition and sort of the back and forth here that we're looking at with yeah. um, with Frontier and JetBlue for this for this one asset for Spirit was as predictable, right? But the idea that there would be consolidation in this low cost segment certainly was. About thirty seconds left, Emily. Does JetBlue go for a takeover? I think they're going to try, right? I think it depends on I think it depends on on spirit really at this point, right? So I, I don't know that JetBlue uh, sort of has much say at this point, right? The the die is cast, as it were. So that's that's my view. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see what happens. All right, Emily, great to have you with us. Thank you very much. All the best. Thank you so much, Dan. Great to talk to you. Thank you, Emily Feldman, uh, management professor here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.